0: Welcome to the Business Octopus, where we talk about all things sales, marketing, and technology. I'm Avon Collis, CRM and Marketing Automation Specialist at Relevate and All Around Good Guy. Today, we welcome back John Hale, the Strategy Guy, here to talk about leading strategy. Welcome back,
1: John. How are you going? Oh, look, I'm feeling like a bit of an imposter, Avon. Your podcast is really about digital marketing and technology, and I've been talking about strategy. So I'm Looking forward to talking a bit more about digital strategy today. So it's more in line with, the, with what you're doing, but I'm well, thank you.
0: It's all holistic and it all all stitches in together in some way, shape or form. So yeah, last time we spoke about strategic mindset. Um, so I guess now you're talking, I guess, on the digital side, when it comes to leading strategy, um, what, what would you say is really important?
1: It's, it, well, well it's, leading it's, it's, strategy is important, obviously leading strategy is important. It's all very well to have a strategy, but if you don't know how to lead it, it's not worth much. Um, and this was kind of brought home to me a couple of years ago. I was on another program um, with, uh, with a guy called Dale Beaumont, who has listeners from all over the, the world. And uh, after I talked about the strategic mindset process, which we did on the last session with you, hmm. they said he said to me, so do you have a system for leading strategy? And I said, well, yeah, I do. And can you give, it, give us something on that? So that question actually prompted me to write my next book, which is called The Strategy Note, which is about how to lead strategy. So I wanna get into that today with you because it's, it's really important. Um, most strategic plans just sit on the shelf and never implemented. Um, so leadership is the key. People are the key to strategy and, uh, and navigating the future. And uh, what I like to do is just open up with a story because uh, as a keynote speaker, it's all about metaphors and, and stories. And I was reminded of a guy called General Stockdale and some of your listeners may be familiar with the Stockdale paradox. Um, In many ways, what we're talking about today is paradoxical and I'll go through that in a moment. But General Stockdale was captured um, in Burma or Thailand or somewhere during the Second World War. And he was in a prisoner of war camp with his soldiers and uh, they were stuck there for a while, quite a few years. And uh, it was a pretty messy place because people basically went insane. They were put in solitary, they were tortured, horrible things. You never really knew what your day was gonna bring you. And uh, Stockdale sort of, when he thought about the future, he, he decided that he would have faith that ultimately the future would take care of itself and that he would get out of there, And that he would deal moment to moment with whatever was arising in the moment whilst holding that faith that one day would be out of there and uh, I think that's an important way to think about the future is that we don't really know what the future looks like but if we can have faith that the future will be okay and that we just deal with what's arising and what's coming over the hill that's a that's a good good way to go and uh, that's what Stockdale's paradox is about in many ways.
0: Yeah I know in in strategy there's uh, um, you know I definitely like the the, the military metaphors and there was uh, the concept of VUCA volatility uh i forget the uh all the uncertainty uncertainty um complexity and ambiguity yeah yes absolutely and you know that that very much rings true um you know i'm one anzac day when i was in the army i went to the thai burma railway and uh was in the cutting at, at uh, anzac uh, dawn service and you know you see the oil lamps and you look around like the you know they dug that cutting it's really really deep by hand with picks and whatever and um uh just the 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 sheer effort and they never knew what was going to happen next day to the next day to the next and you know for some there was definitely almost no out and there was hundreds of thousands that got killed in that one so that is an extremely um uh complex set of circumstances so i think very much you need to be a very strong leader in working through that so um how how does one think about strategy
1: yeah so in terms of strategy strategy is about the future so Uh, One of the leading uh, strategy firms in the world is a company called McKinsey. And about 30 years ago, they came up with a model called the Three Horizons model. And it's incredibly powerful for thinking about the future. And in the last podcast, I talked about the six steps of the strategic mindset process, sense and see, connect and plan, focus and move. And that second step, which is to see what's coming over the horizon, is what McKinsey addressed with their Three Horizons model. And what they say is that successful organisations will think about three future horizons concurrently. They'll have the sort of the one-year horizon, one to two years. They'll have the two to five-year horizon and the medium term and then the five-plus-year horizon. And they came up with these terms, value building in the short term, value migration in terms of how can we bring new value into the business. And I was appreciating you sharing before we came on air that you are in that stage with your business at the moment in terms of... Salesforce that you're migrating value in, in terms of your business model, which is fantastic. And that last horizon, which is five years out, is that sort of exploration. What does the future look and smell like? What's, what signals, weak signals on the radio can we hear from where we are? So to think about the future and to think about strategy, we need to be thinking about three timeframes if we're going to be able to future-proof our business.
0: Well, I, I, uh, I'm thinking back to obviously it, it changes the, the size of the business has an impact on those timeline or horizons as well. I've heard of um, Chinese government doing 50 year plans as well, but um, you know I think when you're, you're moving very big pieces and intergenerational things, then you can plan those timelines. But uh, for for businesses generally, you know, you, particularly lately with uh, tech, you could be disrupted in uh, before you know it, you blink and you miss it. So I guess that kind of leads into, you know, you need to remain profitable to be a, uh, a business that is going to survive for the long term. So what about profitability
1: and leadership? Well, it's a great question. And it's, it's interesting. I see this trade off a lot in the business world. And I guess the question for your listeners out there, if I gave you an opportunity to have a profitable business and a bad leadership team or an unprofitable business, with a top leadership team, what would you go for? And oftentimes as shareholders and investors, we keep looking for the profitable outcome and we ignore the team at the top. But the reality is with a bad leadership team and a profitable business can disappear overnight because they make bad decisions and they don't lead well. And a very unprofitable business can be turned around completely by having a crack team come in and, and do that. So. Profitability, I see, is the, the ability for ability of a, a leadership team to navigate using a strategic mindset and leading strategy. And uh, strategies should always have the, the goal of profitability in the business space uh, on, on its horizon, along obviously today with these more uh, society, environmentally conscious aspects, which are valid in their own right. And consumers today are choosing companies that are environmentally sustainable, that are moving towards zero net positive, because they care. And that's a customer need. So if you're a polluter, you're not going to be in business for much longer.
0: I I think that, you know, when when you're talking about leadership teams uh, today, they're generally facing a, a very large number of masters and ever increasing in terms of, you know, customers, employees, shareholders, and the, you know a lot of the the incentive programs are centered around you know uh, keeping the share price up or or something like that, and yeah, and so you get these like let's do some short term wins to get the um, to keep it uh, the losses down and the uh, the bonuses up, but what ends up happening is they might you know you know sometimes that you get the short term pain for the long term gain. What they do is they avoid that and they they you know, sell off some assets, but maybe they shouldn't. And, you know, those assets then become wildly profitable two years later. Um, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's very important to have a very clear strategy and stick to it. Um, so who in business needs to be responsible for thinking about
1: the future? Uh, that's a great question. Oftentimes I'll get into a very successful business and nobody's thinking about the future. And that's why they bring me in. It's like, okay, we need to think about the future. Tell us about the future. And my goal really is to inculcate this idea of the people need to think about the future in the business. In a, in a largest organization and even in a medium-sized organization, I like to encourage my clients to have three people that are responsible for the three different horizons we talked about, value building, value migration and value exploration. And in a company that's growing and successful, you could even um, tie that to a role. The CEO, and the board have a very special responsibility around value exploration, that long-term horizon. They don't need to get involved in the day-to-day running of the business, the value building stuff. They really need to focus on where we're gonna be five, 10 years from now. I mean, they have due diligence in terms of cybersecurity and accounting and um, uh, transparency and regulation, but their main task is to, to look at that long horizon. So the executive suite really is that um, exploration. Then the migration, that, I believe that should sit in the role of the CFO or the finance department because they're best equipped to do calculations on the value of different opportunities. So your CFO, your financial controller really should start having conversations about what the business should be doing in two to five years time. That's their primary focus in terms of the future. And then your chief operating officer, your general manager, uh, your line managers, they are responsible for the value building in the sort of one to two year horizon. And if If three people in an organization have those three different primes, then the CEO can be passing ideas down to the CFO who can then evaluate them as good or bad, profitable or not. And if they pass the financial test then they can be passed back into the organization and be integrated into it. So there's a clear role um, for three different people around um, thinking about the future.
0: And I think that, um, you know, getting back to the military example, uh, I think of the makes me think of the OODA loop, which is observe, orientate, decide, act. So that starts that first part starts to that sensing component that we were talking about in the last episode. And that orientate is that, you know, that's that short term pain where you it might cost you to, you know, start forming things, getting things ready, uh, and then make a decision and then and then act upon it. And then you're you then become a clear leader in, in that sort of blue ocean strategy. And, you know, when you're talking about the, um, I guess, the, the orientating sort of side of things, you've got a uh, decisions to make, you think about, uh, was it, uh, Qantas, when uh, they had that whole issue around the, um, the engineers that were asking for more and more pay, and you know i guess it was quite controversial that they they shut down the airline for a week or two and and basically you know think of or go through that short-term pain and then get to that long-term gain of you know not necessarily being held up by unions and i guess that's a a very contentious topic no matter what side you look to it but strategy is interlaced between that the entire decision-making cycle so Obviously, that would have been a very difficult decision to make. What's the best way for a leader to lead strategy?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting using Qantas as an example. And uh, I'm pretty impressed with the way Qantas is managing itself in these times in, in a lot of respects. And you mentioned that they play hardball against the unions. They don't get dictated to. And one of the reasons why they have to do that is they're operating in what is traditionally a very unprofitable industry that airlines are notoriously unprofitable. And during a pandemic, when you've only got 50 people on a plane, you're losing money every time you take off. So um, what I've noticed about Alan Joyce is he has what I would call over communicated every step of the way. As soon as an issue is up, he's up there, he's the voice saying, and he came out a couple of weeks ago saying, we may have to stand down staff again. And he lets people know ahead of time what's going on. And this is the best way for a leader to lead strategy and that leader at the top really needs to over communicate and there's there's four things a leader needs to over communicate on one is the vision and the purpose of the organization and in Qantas's case it's about staying solvent their purpose is to stay solvent so that they will fly out of this mess at some point because a lot of airlines around the world aren't making it out um, so you need to communicate the vision you need to communicate the values the second thing a leader must do is be on point with the values these are our values and we live and live by our values. Um, the third one is the customer creed. You know, What is the attitude to the customer? And is the attitude to the customer run all the way down through the organization? Does everybody understand how we relate to the customer? And oftentimes you find that people at the top have, have a strong ethic around the customer. By the time you get down to the coal face, the employees are resentful of management. They hate the customers and the business really suffers. So communicating the customer creed is really important. And the fourth thing they need to do is communicate the strategy. And uh, so everybody knows what pay, everybody's on the same page, um, which, is, which is why I wrote the strategy note, which I'll talk about in a minute. It's, uh, it's a framework that allows um, strategy to communicate it very easily throughout uh, an organization or business.
0: And you, that sort of speaks back to the profitability of leadership. Richard Branson once said, uh, how do you become a millionaire? Start off as a billionaire and then run an airline company.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
0: So um, I guess, how does the strategy note work?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, Now, the strategy note's interesting because um, I have a number of clients I meet with and meet on a monthly basis. And what we do is in the morning, we sit down and go over the last month's strategy note, and then we write another one for the next month. So it's almost like we're writing a strategic plan every month. And there's very few organisations that write strategic plans every month. They're normally annual things that get written for boards or uh, you know, accounting firms or, you know, regulators or shareholders or, or for themselves. But the reality is, in my experience, that most strategic plans are out of date within hours or days. Often they're out of date within hours of days have been written and they rapidly become irrelevant. So the the, uh, the strategy note was sort of my way of saying, OK, let's have something that's dynamic because um, uncertainty is the elephant in the room when it comes to strategy and in terms of the future which is what we're talking about today the future is always inconvenient the future is always inconvenient if you know this I was talking last time about megatrends that we can bank on megatrends mm. and there's some truth to that but paradoxically even within that uh, there is inconvenience so you know st- strategy in the face of VUCA and uncertainty is um, is the reason why I wrote the strategy note and the strategy note works and answer your question, it works because it's got six parts to it. And uh, if people are interested, um, they can pick up a copy of the strategy note and I'll talk about that as we go through, but it, it has uh, six parts. At the top of it, we have our strategy or recommendation. The second, page, second part of the strategy note is to record some information about the financial health, the leadership and the team. Then we look at options, we do some analysis we talk about digital wings, what sorts of digital technologies the business should invest in. And finally, what are the one, two, three next steps? And all of those things I've just mentioned get put onto a single page uh, and that page gets updated every month. And that way, action happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you have strategy in action and, uh, and that's how the strategy networks. works.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So I guess uh, you know we've covered quite a bit here today and you know, I really appreciate you coming along. Um, and if you're listening and you want to hear about more uh, about the strategic mindset and leading with the strategy note, you can visit John's website, thestrategyguide.com.au. And as always, his uh, LinkedIn will be in the episode comments as well. So, John,
1: over to you. All right. Well, look, um, what I wanted to do is uh, offer any of your listeners uh, an opportunity to, uh, to get a copy of the strategy note. It's normally $40 recommended retail on my website. If uh, you want to contact me through my website um, and mention Business Octopus, then I'm happy to get a book out to you for $30, including postage. So let us know if that's something you're interested in. And uh, also um, provide a number of consulting services over a couple of hours or a day. So again, I've got some discounts in place for you as well. So if you're interested in some some short or long-term consulting support um, in your business, um, reach out to me and uh, I'll get you a great rate.
0: Excellent. Now, when we started this episode, we started with a story about General
1: Stockdale. Uh, did oh, you- yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, um, it's called the Stockdale paradox because um, I can't really tell you this story about General Stockdale if, uh, in fact, he didn't actually eventually get out of the prisoner of war camp. But he was one of the minority of imprisoned men that made it out alive. And it was a horrific time. And what he shared when he was asked to write about it and and we came out is that he he had this faith that he would get out and that he had this resilience that was built from dealing with whatever came up. He would meet life and say yes to life, whatever shape it it came to him. He just knew he was able to go into it and through it. And when he was questioned about, um, the interviewer's question, he said, so so he said, uh, they said, the interviewer said to him, so presumably in terms of the ones that survived and the ones that didn't survive, presumably all the optimists made it, but all the pessimists didn't. He said, no, he said the optimists were the worst. They went first. They suffered and died quicker than the others. And he explained that an optimist is someone in that prisoner of war camp that said, right, it's it's July now, nearly August. We're gonna be out by Christmas. We're gonna be out by Christmas. And there was no information to suggest that they were going to be out by christmas but they tried to put a condition on their faith it was unconditional faith. it was conditional faith so when christmas didn't come they became dejected their immune system suffered then they got fearful and then their optimism sprung up again and said oh we're going to be out by easter we're going to be out by easter and then easter came and went and they lost their will and they were broken so the message today around leadership is that as leaders We need to build faith in our business. We need to have faith in our people and we need to bring our people along and make sure that they've got faith in our business. And that comes from over communicating, vision and purpose, values, customer creed and and leading strategy effectively. So we're all on the same page.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. And if you have any questions or you'd like to be on the show, you can check out relevate.com.au and fill out the contact form. Otherwise, thank you for listening and take care.